Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I've been in chained to the, a helicopter in a thunderstorm um, looking after a guy who was two hours away from the hospital would run out of blood. And I think you know, all I had left was to feel his kind of carotid pulse. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and the second episode in our Antarctic miniseries. This episode features expedition and remote location doctor Tash Burley. Tash does have a day job working for the NHS but manages to spend a few months of the year doing exciting things around the world. In this episode she talks about how she got into mountain medicine, what it's like to work at Everest Base Camp, the joy of working for the NHS, being a flying doctor, travelling around the world, saving people's lives, sometimes flying around on private jets, and finally what it's like to spend a season working in Antarctica. So for most of us, likely more relevant than ever, as we live in the middle of this coronavirus quarantine. As I mentioned in the last episode, we've got a Solitude special series coming out in the next few days, followed by a full-length feature before the final two episodes in this Antarctic miniseries. But for now, over to Tash. My name is Tash Burley. I am the medic at Wolfang Runway and I'm working for White Desert who um, cater for um, people who want to come and visit Antarctica and experience what what it has and see how precious it is. And what, what does being a medic in Antarctica entail? Well, personally, I would say medic is maybe fifth on the list after um, sort of dishes, toilets, um, general looking after water in the camp and just being a team member. So actually being a medic is further down the list. Um, So far we haven't had anything serious, um, but all of us that that are kind of employed here have done lots of kind of similar jobs uh, before that have been in um, more remote locations. What, what's, where, where's the most remote? Okay, this is probably the most remote, but where, where else is kind of up there on the places you've worked? Um, well, kind of starting in 2010, I've been on a bit of a roller coaster of different jobs. Um, partly is my personality. I think my dad used to call me a flibberty gibbet, so um, <laughs> that's kind of what I am, a bit of a dreamer, a bit of an explorer. Um, and then also around 2010, medicine in the UK was getting a bit disrupted about how we were training and a lot of people kind of got disillusioned. So um, a scary thing to do, but me and my partner pretty much quit our training jobs and we went to New Zealand. Um, and I worked on a ski field there, which was a volcano, for about four years. Um, 
and then did some retrieval medicine, um, flying out of Dunedin, going to uh, uh, Queenstown and Wanaka, which was pretty cool. And while I was there, um, I was doing my mountain medicine diploma at the University of Leicester in the UK. Um, and I found out you could go to work in Nepal. So I went to work in Ferrishay, which is a, a part of the, the Everest Base Camp trek. So I worked there um, for three months. Um, and after that, I kind of got involved in the Himalayan Rescue Association. Um, so this really amazing lady called Luanne Freer, who set up a, a tent basically at Everest Base Camp. And I worked there looking after Sherpas and, and climbers, again, in a very remote setting. Um, and really, that's just given me the bug that has, you know, medicine. I think my brother always said medicine can take you places. And unfortunately, in the UK, it's got a little bit restricted. So um, I suppose I've butted against that and gone a different path. Um, Yes, which has been a bit of a struggle because um, I came from a sort of high-achieving family and success was X, Y, Z and medicine's in a way another big high-achieving family and if you haven't, if you're not a consultant, um, you know, you can feel a bit inferior. So it's taken me about 10 years to smash that out of my system um, and now I've done a, a lot of these experiences that... Um, I do, do feel successful and I do feel I've got a lot to contribute when I go back to the NHS. Um, yeah, so probably the most remote place is here, but before that was Nepal. Um, and a bit in between that, I worked for Royal Flying Doctors. So I used to arrive in places where um, <laughs> your, your iPhone would be like, I don't know where you are, <laughs> and the uh, satellite phone wouldn't work. So... Um, yeah, I've kind of got a good spectrum of crazy places. <laughs> and how worked. does it work? Do, are these sort of three-month contracts and then you go back and work in the NHS? How, how does that, how well, that work? Well, I'm, I'm super lucky. I work in um, Rigmore, which is the kind of um, hospital in the Highlands in Inverness. It kind of feeds into a population, I think, in an area geographical region that's the size of um, Belgium. Um, but it tends to people gravitate towards who are, who are like skiers or mountain bikers and things like that and luckily my boss is really nice so um, I have an annualised contract so as long as I'm fulfilling those hours in that year um, I can go away so uh, when I get back I'll have 40 shifts to make up over the next year so that's kind of how it works um, so it's not too bad, but I, I definitely appreciate that I'm lucky to be in that situation, uh, working as a doctor in the UK. Um, it's kind of very hard for doctors now with the stresses to get out and, and do stuff like that. Um, so it's definitely a scary thing to do. Um, so, But I think that's what I like, is sort of challenging things and... Um, I think someone sort of said to me the worst like shrinking potion is like fear so anything that I'm sort of scared of I try and push myself to do it you know I'm definitely scared about coming here like we all have things as we get older now that I'm 43 I'm like 
you know, I love my wife, I love my dog, I love my my family, you know, is the plane going to crash, is something going to happen? Um, and I think every time you push those fear boundaries, then you kind of realise there was no need to be fear and, and you kind of grow, uh, grow a bit. And um, certainly around when I went to Nepal, um, the, the avalanche had just happened and I think 9,000 people in Nepal had been killed and I really questioned that and again having done it was something that made me explore what I could do not just medically because as I said it's not always medicine what we're doing but um, just my kind of inner strengths and how I work as a team um, I think being a bit mature, I think definitely as a younger doctor, if I met someone I didn't like, I wouldn't explore that. I'd just be like, I don't like that person. Um, but now I sort of try and think what I bring to it and how I'm making them behave and try and work someone out um, and and get on. So definitely when I've worked in uh, places like here and uh, Nepal and doing a lot of retrieval medicine, you have to get on with people. And so when I've got back to the NHS, I find that I'm more, I don't know, diplomatic and a bit more understanding and not always trying to blame other people for things that are going wrong and just trying to work it out together. Yeah. Interesting that you're saying about, um, well, for me it is, being scared in a way to get on a plane, because I was definitely thinking about a little bit coming down here, but then when you were working as a flying doctor, was that something you just didn't think about because... It was the job, and actually, you were focused on the work at hand rather than the fact that you were in a place. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely. Um, I'm. I mean, you kind of work out your psychology, don't you? I'm definitely better when I feel like I'm looking after someone, yeah. or I'm I'm being the hero. Um, like me and Tess always joke about this at home and be like, "No, let me be the hero." Um, um, I've been in chained to the, a helicopter in a thunderstorm um, looking after a guy who was two hours away from the hospital would run out of blood and I think you know all I had left was to feel his kind of carotid pulse um, and I wasn't scared at all I was just focused on him um, it was emotionally draining for other reasons um, but I think if I'd been in that flight without a patient, I would definitely have tapped into fear, uh, lack of control, you know, because I don't know how to fly a helicopter. Um, I do know how to fly a patient, if that makes sense. So um, in that certain scenario, um, the most upsetting thing was that I, couldn't, I felt like I couldn't fix this guy because I'm used to being in intensive care where... I can get blood, I can get help, and I couldn't get any help. Um, and it, it, I felt like I was in a sort of simulator where I'd be like, I need an IV, and this person running the simulator would go, no, sorry, there's no IV. You'd be like, I need to get to the hospital. Sorry, there's not a hospital. And it just went on and on and on. Um, and when I finally got him to hospital, um, it was kind of, I just burst into tears because it was more, I wasn't scared, but it was more like I'm, I'm quite stubborn and I'm I want to fix people and I think that's probably my only case in 15 years of being the doctor that I was scared that I was gonna not win 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 over on the physiology of that patient but he he did survive um unfortunately his wife didn't but yeah 
fear for me, I think, is a lot about control. I don't know if you know about anaesthetists, but we're we're kind of <laughs> controlling people. Um, or we like we control pharmacology and drugs and all sorts of things. And um, yeah, I think when I get on a plane, I know I can't know how to fly, but I also am aware that we're all fallible. We all might have something going on at home. We all might be tired. We all might not be enjoying our job. We might not enjoy our co-pilot. So I think, I don't think that's maybe why I didn't, don't enjoy flying at times sometimes is because I know we're not perfect um, and I see that in medicine doesn't mean that you're a bad doctor it's just we're not humans are not perfect um, but going back to flying doctors what was interesting I sort of went there to sort of get over like flying fear but sometimes <laughs> these pilots would come on and because it's really quiet airspace they only have one pilot and some big guy sweating would come on and kind of side up the the between the seats and I'd be like, is that the pilot? And the nurse would be like, yeah. And I'd be like, oh my God. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, ha you have to, ultimately you have to, you have to trust people. Um, and, and flying doctors, just to go back, so they are picking people up from really remote places. Yeah, so it was a really interesting job. So I did, um, probably 70% Royal Flying Doctors, which was amazing. I'd be taking critically unwell people to um, Brisbane who were intubated or um, we would just hop around and pick someone up with a snake bite or a trauma. Um, we had a consultant who could uh, video in, so they'd be in the corner of the room and we'd do the recess together. But sometimes, you, even with all the technology, that that wouldn't work. Um, we did cool things like flying um, into night into the bush where all the airway was like lit up with oil drums, and it was like one of those like crazy things like um, oh god, like you know the Western Isles when you come and the ambulance guys, the the luggage guy who's also the guy in the hospital, and it was just really bizarre. Um, or you go to a farmstead. And a 12-year-old in a cowboy hat would come and pick you up from the helicopter in a ute. And you'd be like, are you allowed to drive? And you'd be like, yeah, I've been driving for like four years. And you'd be putting all this medical equipment in to drive to the farm where someone had been stamped by a bull. Um, the other part of the job was private, which was in a helicopter, um, which was um, picking people up from the side of the road. So you'd get into like a bell and two and you'd be like we're going here this is the situation you'd be literally drawing up all your drugs as you went and going through a plan with your paramedic of who who was going to do what role and um, which was much more adrenaline um fueled and exciting um and then a bit of it was learjet retrieval going to fiji and the solomon islands and things like that and that was very bizarre because most of it was insurance work and a lot of them really weren't that ill. Um, and, you know, there'd be things like the pilots would be taking Chinese takeaways to the the um, airport hands in Fiji and making deals with who could get fueled first. And, um, and then you'd get home and you'd be lying in your beds like in Townsville and you'd be like, 
I was in Fiji last night. It was just like the weirdest night shift ever because you'd literally fly, go in some rudimentary ambulance that literally had like, a, you know, a, a ventilation bag sellotaped to the wall, get these people with all their luggage and then fly back, come home and you'd be like having a latte and being like, did that, did that happen? So, yes. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Really um, good job in doing that. I did a diploma in aviation medicine. So that's why working here is really cool I'm, because I'm learning about ice runways and friction testing. And, you know, for me, it's just putting chocks in a jet I mean these are things that are going to be like high, highlights for me mm-hmm. and you said that you you lecture foundation year students on this kind of thing what what do you say to them to inspire students to kind of get outside the hospital or the usual tactical um I think there's two sort of veins that I take one of them is like personal development and happiness um and uh, using medicine, you know, to improve yourself. Um, But definitely there's yin and yang. I definitely think there's some people who, for want of a better word, they're stuck in the NHS and they're scared. Um, And I think if you can be balanced, so I couldn't do all this all the time because I think you de-skill, but I also then go back and happier because I've met people, I've experienced different countries, I've done funny things like, you know, collect all the urine and the poo and, you know, and I think that's really good. But um, I also am aware that I love my job as an anaesthetist and, you know, first eight months of the year, I like to be doing spinals and general anaesthetics and working in intensive care. And then you might get a bit tired of that eight months because it's, you know, I've done like 50 hip operations then you're like oh and then I'll just do something else that'll balance it up and I think it makes me a happier person so I try and project that I think I also try I think doctors lose who they are sometimes and um, when I worked in New Zealand it was quite um, interesting because I went with a bit of the British regimental we and my ICU consultants, so Tash, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, you know, what I want to do is I'd really like to get some retrieval experience and, you know, do some cardiothoracics. And he was like, yeah, but like, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, you know, I'm really looking for a different healthcare experience. He was like, no, like, I don't think you're getting this. What do you want to do? And I was like, well, ski touring, mountain biking, you know. And he was like, yeah, that's what, yeah, that's it. And it was just like, I don't think we're very good at that in the NHS sometimes of seeing past you as a doctor and exams and things like that. So I try and say to them, don't lose who you are. And and that's important in in lots of ways because um, in 
in business and entrepreneurial teachings they talk about developing your curve so you're sort of like learning and then you get better and then you become an expert and then you're like this is boring so almost when you're becoming competent you need to start a new thing whether that's a new thing within anaesthetics like oh I want to do ICU I've done enough of this or I want to do obstetrics but also um, what happen might happen in your career is you might become unwell or um, certainly I know someone who had a heart attack who then they couldn't do retrieval medicine anymore and then they were kind of depressed because they're like, who am I? What do I like doing anymore? Because we work so hard. Most doctors who speak to them are like, oh, I don't mountain bike anymore, I don't ski anymore. And so it's important to keep this kind of curve happening so that it can pick you up when shit goes wrong or your health goes wrong or something changes in your family or it can pick you up when you get a bit disillusioned with what, you, what you're doing. So that's what I try and sell to them. And it's quite funny because I don't think I've been particularly planned in what I've done, but I have learned a lot. But it's been a quite, quite a nice way to sell to them that this was all a, a plan um, to do. Um, but I think ultimately we're just, we can't take life too seriously. We need to live. We need to have that adage that what do you want to be thinking about when you're 90 and you're sitting in, in a chair and um, you can't buy time you know, so all these these kind of things I think are important and um, I'm touched a lot by you know, people that, you know, a 38 year old woman who dies of breast cancer you can say fight cancer, fuck cancer, all of that it's just not the truth, some things are unchangeable so Often when I'm doing something like this or doing an Ironman or a run or something that's tough, I do th I do think about these people. Um, you know, like, you know, a guy, I remember he died of pneumonia in ICU and I named, I just thought I did a run, just a Strava run, and I just kind of was thinking about him. And I think it's important to be privileged, like being somewhere like here and... You know, you can you can get low at times, but I think you've got to look around and be like, wow. Um, and when when I went test, my partner was sort of like, well, just see it like see all of our friends in running club and cycle club. You're going for us to see for us and like come back and tell us about it. Um, so I thought that was quite nice um, thing <laughs> thing. Um, what else is on your what other adventures are there that you want to do you know you say when you're going to be 90 <laughs> looking back like you've got a whole host of <laughs> stories already but what more do you want this to is do? the sort of thing that my family panic about so <laughs> no I, th I think I'm someone who just needs to be busy so the last three years so it was 2016 that was in Everest and I've I kind of there was nothing coming up I've always wanted to go to Antarctica but with Bass it's you know a long time which you can't be away from family and then ALE I think it's the other operator here and I didn't quite know how to get in contact with them and then again through um, Elsa who worked here before I found out about it but during that time I can't not do something so I've suddenly just got into Ironman and like running and CrossFit and like my brother's always just like oh for goodness like sake when are you gonna just stop so it doesn't always have to be something as fantastic as this but I think I'm always trying to explore 
suffrage in a way or the boundaries of um so Tess doesn't like it you know she's just like oh why do you always want to do things the the, the hard way you know or like I sort of like that feeling at 35k in a, a sort of marathon you know, and that's where it sort of gets a bit interesting and I want to feel those lows and I want to feel that tiredness and toughness or pain I want to just push and then you know here I think's actually going to be much harder than um, Nepal because I was much busier there with patients um, so psychologically I think this is going to be a, a big test for me um, which you know I think will be good because I think every time you then achieve it you're like yeah okay so what's next um, I think I'm not sure this was like one of the last places I kind of Want want to go? Um, don't know. Not sure what's yeah, next. Gonna, more of a practical question. Mm -hmm. Can you talk me through your medical supplies when you're at Everest Base Camp? Like, what what does it look like compared to being in a hospital in the UK? Um, so Everest Base Camp's pretty um good at actually. Um, they've been running for a while, and they're quite organised. Um, in terms of the kit that they have. They have a tent like this. I think it's a different make as a weatherport tent. So we kind of have a reception and then we have come in and there's three beds. Um, then we have two computers that we log all our patients and our complaints. Um, we have kind of all the altitude medicine drugs. We, have, we use the um, oxygen mask that the climbers use. Um, and yeah, most analgesia, antibiotics, extremely well stocked. It's been kind of well thought out over uh, since 2003. Um, so you can actually do quite a lot uh, there. Um, as with most places, you kind of draw the line with more advanced techniques, such as putting someone to sleep or like intubating them, because how would you maintain that in that environment? Um, it was a bit trickier there. Um, in some respects because the weather always came in at midday so if you didn't get someone out you could be sitting on someone for a while medicine is just great because you're just you have to work on first principles you have to work on worst case scenario um, you can't be like what you know watch and wait come back next week um, so it's really nice medicine to practice but only certain people would enjoy that. It doesn't necessarily mean if you're a consultant you're going to enjoy that kind of medicine because a lot of doctors don't like uncertainty and, you know, managing risk, uh, which you have to do. But, yeah, it's pretty well set out and there's loads and loads of helicopters coming in all the time, um, which you can get people in and out of and bringing all sorts of demands that the climbers want from chocolate to coffee to beer. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's good. Um, because of what happens now, a lot of people get actually taken straight off the mountain, even from, I think, Camp 3 with a stripped-down um, twin-engine Eurocopter and long line, they can get people from Camp 3 now. Um, so a lot of them were kind of bypassed us but yeah. mostly upset tummies, diarrhea, blisters, cough, frostbite, um pre one pregnancy <laughs> um lots of cerebral edema, p 
from Redima. But really, really good experience. So what's more important to you when you take these jobs? Is it the adventurous side of coming and living on a camp for three months in Antarctica, you know, getting in mm. isn't easy, or is it is it the challenges of the work that you're, or is it just a mixture of both? I think both are really rewarding. Um, like, if some, I don't want someone to get sick here, but if someone did, I'd flip into that and I would relish that and be brainstorming of what, how we could use what we had to make them better and using the team that I know. But um, I think what I really like is like just mucking in and mixing with people and not being a doctor. There's so, so many times that socially people are like, oh, you're a doctor and, you know, they think that you're not on the same level or you're not... An, the same kind of person whereas here you know I would hope that the chef and the PC drivers and you know the pilots just think I'm sort of just the same and I think that has a knock-on effect like I think someone said to me you know if you can't if you can't sweep the floor then no one will follow you and I, I think if you're not willing to sweep the floor then you can't expect if suddenly something happens if I've not been doing the dishes or emptying the toilets to suddenly say hey can you come and help me this person's really sick can you bring me that this and that and I think you're more likely to get a buy-in from a team that you've been shown that you're willing to work from the bottom up um, and they'll they'll follow you or work in symbiosis with you if you've swept the floor that's what I kind of think some people I had a sort of boss in Australia who thought the opposite of that. He thought if you were doing things like that, people wouldn't respect you as a doctor. And I, I have to say, I just completely, completely disagree. Okay, let's wrap it up with how, how long have you been here now? A month? Um, no, I've only been here two weeks. Okay, how would you describe Antarctica? Like the view, we're looking, we are surrounded at the moment. <sighs> I think you've got a, you've got like your mini view when you're just busting around doing your jobs, and then you just have moments of magic that just blow you away. Of I almost feel like I'm in some another la another world, like pristine. Like it gives me so much joy, like to look over at those mountains and kind of think no one's really been there like no one's there's not really any footprints there and I, I think it's just so precious um yeah it's just magical there's moments like I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan but the first Star Wars when you know Luke's at home with his aunt and uncle and um and it's kind of dune de desert but it's kind of like that but white so I keep there's times that when I look at the comms box and there's an aerial coming out I feel like I'm in Hoth or or like where Luke grew up. Um, so there's definitely, yeah, there's like you're just, yeah, and you just, you're going around your business, kind of reasonably mundane things, and then you just, you can take the fat bike out over and just be like, just like the smell of like fresh air and silence and just something that humans haven't touched, I think is pretty special.
Thanks for listening. For more information, visit theadventurepodcast.co.uk. As ever, if you've got an idea for a guest or want to give us feedback or just say hello, then you can email us at info at theadventurepodcast.co.uk. And please do um, share this thing around and tell your friends and tell your family. I guess right now uh, it's as good a time as any to be listening to podcasts and interesting tales and exciting stories. And please, if you do enjoy the podcast, um, check us out on social media and leave a review on iTunes. They do make a massive difference to us.